I cannot stress this point enough. I'm literally playing as superheroes I've been reading and thinking about since I was a kid. Hey guys, Craig here. We finally got Ray to do an episode. So Ray Flynn is here and he's got two good guests. He's got uh, both Jesse and Chris from the Fury's Finest podcast. Uh, One of my favorite podcasts for the new Marvel Crisis Protocol miniature game. Um, If you've been paying attention, you know I've been painting that game up, uh, working on a board. We plan on doing some live streams on it. Um, It's a really good um, game. It's not as deep uh, as Malifaux, um, but uh, boy, is it. It is fun and it plays short and basically ray and uh chris and jesse just talk about you know the basics of the game and uh put forth the kind of the sales pitch on uh, why ray and probably you should be playing the game enjoy playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play, or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. What's going on, everybody? Ray here on the third floor, and today we have two guests trying to convince me, and it's not going to be hard, by the way, that I should be playing Marvel Crisis Protocol by Atomic Mass Games. You may know our first guest, Jesse. He's from the Fury's Finest podcast. It's a wonderful podcast that dives in real deep into Marvel Crisis Protocol, goes into all the characters, their capabilities. But the thing that they do that really drives drives it home for me is a must-listen, is that they also go into the fluff of all the characters as far as like comics and cinematic universe and all that jazz. So I definitely recommend you check it out. Jesse, welcome to the third floor. Can you give us a little bit of background on you as a gamer? Thank you for having me. So my history with gaming goes back 20 years. I started at a really young age with Risk and Axis and Allies, eventually graduated to heavier tabletop Euro games and area control games and some of my favorite games like Twilight Imperium. And then that led to the competitive side of things in me. I got really involved in the FFG Star Wars line. So that was X-Wing, Armada, Imperial Assault, and competitive Star Wars Legion. All of this coalesced and led to where we are right now with this great game, Marvel Crisis Protocol, and I'm so excited. Nice. So you're actually one of the few guests that I think uh, we've had on the show that didn't come from Warhammer um, or GW uh, products, so that's kind of cool. Oh, I like hearing that. Yeah, that's... that's a- yeah, it's like, it's it's everyone, come, even me, um, I actually kind of started on Battletech, but I come from GW mostly as well. That's where I got my competitive start. Right. Um, if you know Jesse, you're also going to know our next guest, Chris, who happens to be his co-host on Fury's Finest Podcast. Chris, same thing, a little bit of background on you as a gamer. Are you a GW guy, or did you come from a different area? I am a GW guy. I'm so <laughs> sorry. There it, is. <laughs> um, there it is, man. No, I don't apologize. I do not. I do not. <laughs> regret those years at all but i started off with wargaming i probably started off with well tabletop gaming really started off playing stratego with my dad it was my favorite thing to do when i was a kid so stratego risk you know moved on to hero clicks in high school 
from there is when I, you know, end of high school, post high school is when I got into Warhammer 40k. Dabbled in fantasy, moved on to Infinity, you know, and of course, stuck in the board gaming, Twilight Imperium is probably my favorite game of all time. You know how it goes. And I find, I find myself here now. Very nice. Well, we're happy to have you here. Happy to have both of you here on the third floor. So anyone who's listened to our podcast before knows we kind of have a basic structure to these uh, reasons we should play uh, podcasts, and we're not going to deviate from that here. So four things we're going to look at today. We're going to take a look at the theme. What's the setting? How does that theme translate to the table? We're going to talk about the pregame, win conditions, list building, etc., etc. We're going to go in-depth on the in-game. Well, not too in-depth, but enough to do the convincing. What makes the game unique is going to be really what we're going to focus on. As we've all discussed, there's a lot of different miniature games out there. What separates this and what makes it worth playing? And then last but not least, we're going to talk about the hobby aspect of it. So let's go right into Marvel Crisis Protocol from the website. They describe it themselves as a tabletop hobby miniatures game set in the Marvel Universe. Players assemble, paint, and collect an ever-expanding line of highly detailed plastic miniatures representing iconic Marvel characters. Players choose characters from their collections to form their own Marvel-inspired dream team and then pit their chosen forces against each other on an interactive tabletop where the very terrain itself can be thrown, crashed into, and destroyed during the super-powered showdown. Now... That's a pretty big hook if I've ever heard one. What do you gentlemen think? Uh, I'd say that's a great hook. Yeah, spot on. So I like the uh, thrown, crashed into, and destroyed terrain. I feel like that's a big appeal of this game for sure. Yeah, I think like you see that and you're like most, when you think miniature wargaming, everyone thinks terrain, obviously. But a lot of times the terrain is not something you're interacting with, but something you're working around. So like the idea of, hey, you can like you don't like the building that's in the way fine throw somebody into it let's i mean <laughs> that sounds pretty good yeah so let's go right into theme and a lot of us are familiar with the marvel cinematic universe just thanks to the popularity of the movies uh we all know that comic fans are legion you know whether it be for marvel or dc everyone's got their favorite but let's assume you aren't very familiar with marvel or its properties right now what kind of setting are we looking at here? Do you want to lead us off with this, Jesse? Like, what's going on? Describe the setting as if someone didn't know anything. They'd been living under a rock and didn't know anything about Captain America or Iron Man. Like, what kind of setting are we looking at here? Well, basically, we're just looking at some real-world settings and some fantasy settings where these superheroes are fighting. So it's almost limitless, especially with the terrain in this game. we got cityscapes subways train stations alien worlds asteroids and even mystical realms outside of our own realms and you know our basic understanding of the world so you've got a lot of options there and then of course we've got these superheroes and, and supervillains fighting on these various locations which is great that's awesome so like when we talk when we say superheroes and supervillains are we talking about people that like are just really highly trained are they people with you know like superpowers are they crazy aliens or is it literally kind of all of the above anything you can think of situations it's seeming like the direction they're going with the game and so far what we've been given it it literally is all of the above if you're underneath the marvel umbrella so that would be someone like natasha romanoff who's black widow highly trained all the way to someone like thanos who's more on a cosmic level we we've got it all. So we've got a nice spread of superheroes and supervillains. Awesome. That sounds great. And so Chris, when we're talking about 
the supervillains and superheroes, like going beyond the, the initial setting, going back to the fact that this is part of the Marvel property, is this more focused on the comic Marvel properties? Is it the cinematic universe? Is, the, is it falling somewhere in between? What's going on here? Well, they've done a really great job of, of blending the two, of really marrying the MCU with the comics. They've done a wonderful job of, of deciding what aesthetic is best for each character to go with, whether that be a blend, whether that be fully going MCU, whether that full, be fully going with the comic book feel for the character on the sculpts. As far as playing the characters, they each feel 100% individual. I would liken it almost to a MOBA, if you've ever played that kind of computer game. Okay, like League of Legends, exactly. D DOTA. Exactly. Every character is so different, and the objectives, which are going to be different game to game, nice. that every game will feel new and fresh. And they also have done a wonderful job of translating those power sets into the game. And that's great news because the harbinger of death for all games is that you put it on the table once and then you don't want to put it on the table again. Right. From what you're saying, it sounds like that's not that's not going to be a feature here. That you're going to want to come back and try out all of these crazy cool characters that we're all familiar with from one place or the other. And in the case if you're from if you're more from the cinematic universe, you might be looking more at, oh, I've never seen this character before. And that has its own intrigue in and of itself, I would say, right? Absolutely. You're going to want to see how the characters work together. Uh, Captain America and Iron Man are obvious obvious first first characters you want to see work together. They've even got a tactics card that, that works together with them. But nice. you're also nice. going to want to see how, how does Black Panther work with Black Widow. Like, There's just so many things, so many avenues you can go down that it's just... It's it's limitless, like the terrain. That's awesome. And so it kind of sounds like they succeeded at translating this particular theme to the table here, where it's like, you want to see these characters on the table. You want to see how they interact with each other. So I guess the only question then is, is you know, do they, does it feel like you're playing superheroes? Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. 100%. So what would you say is probably like, if like, for someone who might be on the fence thematically, Jesse, what would you say, like, you know, let's say it's you're not really a comic book fan. Like, does this game still bring the goods? Like, you know, yeah, you can say, hey, you're playing superheroes. Yeah, you may not be a Marvel fan. But the way that they execute this theme, the way that it plays out on the table, you still want to check this out? Absolutely. I think the theme is paramount in this. But even if you're not a big fan, the theme matches with the mechanics. And on top of that, this is a low count low model count game so it's even easier i think for someone to get in and just jump in and play with these superheroes and supervillains even if they don't have a vested interest in this um comics or film franchise but on top of that they all feel unique and they all feel like they are superheroes and i think that's going to stick the landing for people, even if they're not fans. So that paired with the low model count and just kind of jumping right in, it's great. All right. That all sounds pretty epic. And I think I'm ready to get into some meat and potatoes. We're going to go ahead and take a short break. And when we get back, Jesse and Chris are going to talk us through what's going on in the pregame setup. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, welcome back, everybody. So we're going to talk about Marvel Crisis Protocol's pregame now, and we're going to lead off with Chris. Chris, you and I, we chatted a little bit about this before. Uh, we started the recording today, and that is is that this game has a very interesting pregame setup in the fact that you have already have a pool of of things you need to select before you even come to the table. So let's go ahead and start there. You, we have three things we're looking at here. We got models, tactics cards, and your win conditions. So let's start with like models and tactics cards. What's going on there, and what are the restrictions for what you're bringing to the table? You're going to have a pool of ten characters. That you're going to bring. So you're going to need to bring 10 models to every game. Whether you might not use... You're not going to use all 10 in a single game for sure. But whether you ever use some of them, by the rules, you need to bring 10. Okay. So no, hands down, even if you have your dream team of like three to four models you always take, right. you still need to have 10 officially when you come to the table. Yeah. For you know, for tournament compliance, what what have you. Right. That is That is the way the rules are written. So you're going to have that pool of 10 characters to choose from once the rest of the setup is done. Now let's talk about your tactics cards. You're going to bring a deck of 8 tactics cards and pare that down once everything is selected. So these tactics cards are going to range from things like Iron Man shooting his uh, his repulsor beams off of Captain America's shield, all of the movies... Uh, for a special attack or something as something like Ultron who gets to come back fully healthy if he had enough power once he dies. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's nasty. Uh, not only that, but there's a lot of things that aren't going to be as character specific. There's going to be a lot of things like spend a couple of power and move every character within so much, such a radius of this character, move every friendly character short distance. Things like that. It, they're they're varied, they're wild, and something we're still getting our heads around. This game has not been out that long, and these tactics cards just really change the game in a big way. Okay, so you get so you get your ten model crew, and then we'll go over how you or I keep saying crew because Malifo. You have your ten <laughs> models for your list building. And then you have these eight tactics cards that basically seem like they might even... You, is it safe to say they're kind of almost game-changing at times? Oh, they absolutely can be when used properly. Okay, so you get those, and then these are based around the win conditions. So let's go ahead, before we dive any deeper, let's go ahead and talk about those. Jesse, walk me through these win conditions. Yes, each player brings four of each deck, and the two decks are the secure deck and the extract deck. Now, what's interesting about this is every objective in the game is built off of these two decks. And I say these two decks because well, let's just move on to how player priority is determined. You roll dice to see who gets the most hits. Then that player is given the priority token and they choose one of their two objective decks to play from. As in now, the second deck is going to be from the other player's uh, deck pool. This is really interesting because... 
These are two different types of objectives. One is more of a secure. We talked about it's called secure and it is more places on the map, um, contesting king of the hill, these sort of things. But then there's the second deck, which is extract, which is typically the pick things up, carry them places, um, extract civilians off the map, things like that. So if you're the player with priority, you might want to choose the deck that's leaning better to your group of models you just chose at the beginning of this game. But now we're playing from the other player's extract deck. So what's interesting is we're going to mix these objectives together. And every time we play the game, we're going to have a nice spattering of different objectives because the two same objectives are not going to happen every game, which is pretty great. So say we chose secure as our player. Now we take the deck. It's three cards. We shuffle it and we draw two and you choose one objective from the two you just drew. So you really can get an idea of what you're going to have on this particular objective. The opposing player does the same. They shuffle their deck and they draw two and they choose one objective from that. And now we place the objectives face up at the same time, simultaneous. And these are the two objectives we're playing with. Okay. So there's a little bit of randomness happening in in two in, in in almost like a two facet kind of way. So you have whatever deck you pick. There's still a little bit of randomness there because you don't know necessarily which one of the three objectives you're actually going to play, and you're only going to get to choose from two the two you revealed. So you have a little bit of choice there, but then you have it's completely random basically on what your opponent might pick for the opposing deck. That's right, and this is going to get more complex and more robust as the game goes on because it seems like. Almost every expansion that they're going to be dropping, or at least every other expansion, they are dropping new objectives in these expansions. So, for instance, Hulk and MODOK, the first expansion wave in the game, they both came with an objective. Mm -hmm. So this is really getting interesting going forward because this is part of your list building. What three extract cards and what three secure cards do you want to bring? Now, the final part of this is really interesting. We have the two objectives on the table face up. We know what our extract is. We know what our secure is. But at the top of these objectives, they have a number called the threat level. This is essentially your list building points. Now the player's priority does their last thing, which is where they choose the number they want. So every objective in the game is going to have either, you know, some number of threat. So the priority player basically determines, I want to play a lower threat game or a higher threat game, whatever it may be. They choose a number, and that's the threat for the game. So now both players have to build their list off of that number. And that's when the, the list building here is, like we discussed before, that's off of those 10 characters that you brought to the table. That's right. So depending on what 10 models you brought, they're all varying threat. So we're going to see how they fit in that number. And it just has to be that number or less than that number. And okay. the, fi the final part of pregame is the player that did not have priority. They get the last action, essentially, and they choose their deployment side of the board. Oh, okay. Do they also deploy at that point or? Then we would move on to the first phase. Yeah. And they would deploy the first model and okay. we will alternate deploying models until everyone has de deployed every model. Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, so is al alternating activations kind of a thing here then is uh, Chris, is, is that the state of the game? Is that much like that deployment we just discussed with Jesse, where you're alternating, you know, placing your models when you actually activate, are you alternating activations as well? You are alternating activations, and based on who activated last, priority for the next turn will pass. So 
if I activated last, my priority is going to pass to the opposing player. There's not going to be double activations in this game. Oh, okay, that's really cool. So what's like the average model count then? So you're, we're, we've already discussed that that threat level is going to vary depending on what win condition the priority player picked. Um, what does that translate into, uh, typically, at least from what we've seen so far? Obviously, the game's fairly new. So far, we're looking at model counts ranging from four, if you're going to go with a very beefy, uh, a high-threat team, uh, all high-threat characters, to my average lists tend to be five. Five or six sometimes. So it's not really... So even among skirmish games, this isn't really a huge model count, like, when you think about it. Absolutely not. All right, so... It, and you've already kind of hit on one of the things I was kind of interested in, which was is if there were any rules that prevented um, your opponent just spamming, like, eight models or whatever, and then now they out-activate you. Um, and it seems like part of that is that alternate activations, but let's, let's take that thought process a, a little step further. Let's say we go through the, this pregame, we've determined what our win conditions are. We've picked our lists, um, the priority players, and, and then you reveal those lists. And let's say someone's going with like a super high level, you know, every models cost five and they bring three models their opponent brings five. So what happens and is there a way that prevents the person who brought three from being just completely out-activated and having to go, well, here's my three big guys. Now your two last big guys get to go uncontested. I would say there certainly is. One part about this game is there's not a lot of low-threat models in the game so far. Oh, okay. And I don't think they're ever going to release minions or anything like that. And I think that's a positive because that's not going to happen, we believe. And on top of that, there's a pass mechanic. Okay. So if your opponent is up on activations and you, you actually can pass to kind of delay and see what they're doing before you react to their models on the board. Okay, so so and again, this just enforces that alternating activation thing that Chris was saying with uh, with passing the priority if you were the last person to go. Exactly. It's like, hey, you've got two more models than I do. I'm going to pass first, so that way we maintain that alternating activation concept. So they might get two activations in a row in that regard. Like if they went first, then you pass, they go again. But that's because you are waiting so that when your models activate... It's my model, your model, my model, your model, and maintaining that kind of concept. Absolutely. It's always going to maintain that, and that's, I think, a huge strength of this type of game. I would agree. Are there any, So are there any other decisions pregame you need to make? Like, uh, what what do you do with the tactics cards? Is there a restriction there? Uh, no restrictions. Uh, they have to either meet the characters in your group, or they just have to be the generic ones that Chris mentioned earlier that just fit anyone. That's pretty simple. You pair that deck of eight tactic cards down to six at this moment. So now you're just choosing your six you want to take into this particular battle. And I guess the last thing I'll mention, which is the most interesting thing to me, and this would, of course, happen even pre-pregame, but it's just character interactions and squad affiliations and leadership abilities. So what does that mean? That basically means this MOBA list, like Chris mentioned earlier, that you're building, you might want to build some synergy within it. And probably the most obvious synergy in the game right now are squad affiliations. There's currently two squads in the game, the Cabal faction of Red Skull and the Avengers faction of Captain America. And essentially, if you have more than 50% models of that faction in your list, you get a special faction ability. So this might be important to your game as well. So this is something where you want to choose your model count. You want that number to lean that way. So say we this is a five model game. 
I'm going to want three of those models to be Avengers, so we get that Avengers ability. The two mo final models can be whatever they want, and they will actually get the Avenger ability as well. So Wow, that's awesome. So is there any, like, so you mentioned that, like, just 50% of your list has to be squad. Is there any other restrictions for your list? Like, if I want to bring Captain America and, I don't know, say, like, Ultron because reasons... Um, is that something I can do? You absolutely can. Yeah, it's anything uh, just over 50%. So this happens in the comics all the time, which is great. You can make a squad ma majority one team and then add some sort of oddball character at the end. And this is nothing. On, I mean, we've seen this in the comics so many times, like Green Goblin or someone like that with Spider-Man or, or interesting things like Venom joining with Spider-Man as the lethal protector. These things happen all the time. It's just cool to mix and match. So this is coming into your squad pairing as well. And it's really exciting. Is Hulk fighting with the bad guys now? That's pretty scary, right? And he has the bad guys abilities. It's really fun. And also I think makes this game even easier to get into because once again, if you have 10 models, you can play. And I keep emphasizing that because I think it's really important in this community of miniatures gaming when models and money and things like that get so high, this game does not have that. And so much so you could pick just your 10 favorite characters. If you really want to of mix of heroes and villains, and you could just play with those every time. And we're going to touch a little bit more on this on the hobby aspect, but, but just to throw it out there for the topic, like the core box comes with 10 super villains and heroes in it. Right. So you can buy, the core box that's 10 and, models and go absolutely and on top of that if you just want to pick up maybe hulk or something on the side and take that number up to 11 or 12 there you go you're you're set for quite some time and i i think that's a huge huge pro of this game and i love these character interactions and in your lists all right well i'm ready to get right into talking about the in-game mechanics we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump head first into that with fury's finest jesse and chris Hi guys and girls, ladies and gents, I'm Kevin Smith, I'm the Southwest boy living in the southeast of the UK. I contribute $18, or £13 a month to Third Floor Wars. And why? Well, I work 50 hours a week as a supermarket manager, have three children, so in my spare time, I just want to play foe. And if I can't do that, the next best thing is listening to the Third Floor Wars podcast. Not only do I hear about what I play, and the gaps in my knowledge, but I also hear about all of the cruising tactics that I need to beat and often how they've even performed in recent tournament reports. The online store has some great merchandise, including t-shirts and mugs to buy now to show your support. You should be a Patreon too. So pause this episode and go to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars, or grab the link in the show notes. All right, and we're back with Jesse and Chris from Fury's Finest, where we're now going to go into the in-game concepts and mechanics that are happening with Marvel Crisis Protocol. So, Chris, we got to talk about these dice, man. So, what is going on here? We have a set of dice. They've got hits. They've got blanks. They've got the shields on them. They've got this little spiral whirly gig thing. I mean, then there's the skull... And, like, everyone's using the same dice, no matter if they're attacking or defending. What is happening? I'm glad you brought this up, because I think the dice are what struck me on my first playthrough 
immediately. They they really stood out to me. And now, like you said, everybody's going to be using the same dice. There are no... There's one set of dice for everything you're going to do in this game. Uh, so it's going to have individual attacks, attack results, individual defense results, individual wild results, critical results, as well as that skull you mentioned. That's going to be a dead dice. So there's going to be no re-rolling that dice in for any reason. No, no super... Auto fail. No superpowers will change that. No cards will let you re-roll that dice. It is just... It's gone from your pool once that skull shows up. And it's an auto fail. Yeah. It, it, it is the skull of death, for sure. Now, when you're rolling an attack roll, say you're, say you're using a power that, that gives you six dice to attack with, you are going to see a variety of results here. You're going to see blanks. You're going to see... Um, the attacks, the de- the shield defense, the defense shield, uh, criticals and wilds. Now the defense shields are not going to count towards your hits. You might be rolling six dice, and you might roll really well for a defense roll, but it's not going to get the job done on an attack roll. And it's going to happen to you vice versa when you're rolling a defense and you need shields and you're getting attacks. Now let's talk about. Uh, the criticals. Every time you roll a critical, you're going to get to roll another dice. It's called exploding the critical. Nice. So if you explode this critical and roll a, another hit result of any kind, uh, whatever kind you need, def- whether that be defense, wild, uh, another crit, an, an attack, it will count towards your overall defense or attack pool. Awesome. Now, let's talk about the coolest of all of the dice rolls, and that's the wild. That I think you mentioned a spinny whirly gig is yeah. what we is what we called it. <laughs> so the spinny whirly gig is going to represent a hit or defense, whichever one you need. Okay. But a lot of powers have an activator based on this based on this wild result. So when you roll this wild, you might be inflicting a status condition on the opponent. You might be uh, you might find yourself able to relocate the opponent's model a short distance. It's different for every power that uses it, and it's very cool. It's, okay. Wilds are the coolest thing to see and also the funnest thing to use. So it sounds like there's, like, what, three results that are three or four uh, faces of the die that are good? And... At any given at any given time, you're looking for three different results. Okay. Sometimes a fourth, depending on some powers. Uh, they do change things up, but you're, oh, okay. you're if you're attacking, you're looking for the attack, the wild, or the crit, and the defending, you're looking for the defense, the wild, or the crit. So you mentioned that the uh, the attack rolls come with the the attacks themselves will tell you how many dice you need to roll. Is there a, an indicator for how many defense dice you're going to roll? There absolutely is. Each character is going to have uh, three different defense stats for, and this is going to correlate with every attack type. There's going okay. to be okay. physical attacks. There's going to be energy attacks. And there's going to be mental attacks. So. The average defense dice is usually three. The above average okay. is four. I don't know that we've seen a five defense for anything yet. And, you know, if your defense dice, it, the lowest we've seen so far is two. Okay. Somebody who just is really bad at, like, taking blaster bolts to the face. Exactly. It sounds like it might be kind of weighted more Absolutely. towards attack then. Okay. 
So you're designed to take damage. Like this isn't like you're, hey, you know, you're, you're going s- to take damage. You're not going to escape scot free with any of your models. Okay. So how do you like? So how does that? How, so how do you deal with that? How, what's the mechanic in the game that's saying, hey, you're going to take a lot of damage? Does everyone have a lot of hit points? I mean, what's going on here? So every time you take damage, you're going to gain a power, and this power is going to be your economy that you use to spend on stronger attacks. You're going to use to spend on your superpowers and your special abilities, as well as every character has a, a health stat. So every character is going to be able to take so much damage before they're dazed, and every character has two sides to their character card. Once they've taken the allotted amount of damage on side one, they flip to side two. Sometimes the stats change a little bit, or you've gained a superpower or something of that sort, uh, until you are knocked out at the once side you've depleted all the health on side two. Okay. So you, so you kind of have like, you know, Hey, we're fighting shape. And then we're like, Oh, desperation mode. It's called injured. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. And so, so every time you take damage, you're gaining power and I get, and I'm assuming you use the power to fuel special abilities. Oh yeah. That's the, that's the juice that makes the game go. All right. Well, talk to me about that. What's going on? Well, we just mentioned powers, the economy of the game. And I love this mechanic because if the enemy team focus fires one character, every time that character takes damage, they're gaining power. So there's this kind of inverse mechanic in the game. One of my guys is really bloodied now, but that character has a lot of power, which then leads to superpowers and stronger attacks like Chris mentioned. So now this character is fed with all this economy and they can spend power to do thematic superpower things which is great so we got hulk throwing terrain we got spider-man shoot his webs we have captain marvel going into binary form and now she is doing a lot of damage there's a lot of interesting superpowers and this is where the game really shines because though it is this lower model count like we mentioned earlier the three to five models maybe six in the future maybe even seven in the future you are doing different superpowers that are different mechanics and different attacks with every single character and i love this part of the game so much it sounds really awesome like you know being it feels like uh kind of like very much like a comic book or like when you watch an mcu where like the the in our typical situation it's going to be the heroes getting beaten down but they somehow find that reserve to overcome adversity it feels like the power mechanics meant to kind of you know, in, encapsulate that in a mechanical form. Certainly. It's kind of like they're getting beat up and, but they're also, you know, more in this fight now. And it's really bringing a lot of their superpowers online. And it's just so fun. And I love that it's in a weird way. I'm not going to necessarily call it a catch up mechanic, but it is a balancing act mechanic because like I said, if someone's really damaged, well, now they're fed with a lot of power and they can do more interesting things as opposed to the characters that have taken very little damage in the game so far. Okay. Do you gain power any other way other than by getting hit? You certainly do. Yeah, you're absolutely going to gain power. You're going to gain power at the beginning of every turn. You're going to gain power through the use of basic strikes. Most characters have a zero-cost strike that will gain power based on how much damage you get through. Okay. There's also there's also a couple other ways. Uh, there are superpowers that, like, for instance, Red Skull has an economy... Uh, generator built in to where he can potentially take damage but also gain three power. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of different ways 
to to gain it. You're going to be going through a lot of this stuff. You're going to have a limit of 10 power per character. So once okay. you hit that 10 mark, you're you're not gaining anything. So to you're be loaded to bear. Right. To be efficient, you're going to want to spend before you get to 10 basically. Okay. And is it very is, like is it often that you're going to get to 10 or is that kind of you know, if you're not really spending your powers, you'll get there. It kind of depends on the character. Hulk, Hulk you're going to hit 10. <laughs> you're going to hit 10 with Hulk, yeah. <laughs> you're going to hit 10 with Hulk. Uh, you're not going to hit 10 with, say, Black Widow. Okay. Just not. So it's, yeah, she just doesn't have a big enough health pool to support get, taking that much damage. Okay. Well, I, but that, again, kind of feels that's thematic, right? Absolutely. Like, you can imagine someone like the giant world-shaking Hulk. Like, of course he's going to have tons of power. Exactly. Like, why wouldn't he? Exactly. All right. Well, so, Jesse, talk me through, like, so let's talk about activations. Certainly. Then. So this is going to sound really familiar to a lot of the miniatures gamers out there. And I apologize for that, but I will get to the good stuff with this. You get two actions every activation. So we mentioned that alternating activation order between you and your opponent. So now I am choosing to go with Hulk. I can attack as an action. I can attack a second time as an action, which is great. We mentioned earlier, you can move as an action. You can move again as an action, or you can remove a condition that's on your character by sort of a resting action. But besides all that, almost every superpower in the game, minus a few, which are obviously very strong that take actions, they don't take actions. Okay. So this is where the game gets kind of crazy. So say you are fed with all that power. Well, maybe now you just double attacked with Hulk and you also threw a car with one of his superpowers as a free action in a way because these superpowers are typically just as long as you can pay for them, you can right. do them. Some of them have restrictions. You can only do them once per turn because they would be broken and things like that. But I absolutely love this mechanic of the game. And I think this is something that'll sound familiar to you hear with the Malifa stuff where it's there's so many little actions built in that are free, essentially, if you can pay for them. So I mentioned Captain Marvel going to binary f- mode or Iron Man consulting with Friday AI to improve his outgoing attacks. These are free actions before you choose to do your actions. So that's a big part about the game. And also to add even further to the craziness, picking up objectives is usually a f- a free action as well as in it's a thing that you pay one power to do to interact and you say you pick up that objective that wasn't an action either so you're seeing now the order of events how crazy it can be you could you could do a lot on a turn you could attack throw some train at somebody pick an objective attack again or you know move back set up for your next turn there's a lot of things going on and we cannot stress enough how fun the superpowers are and how varied these order of actions is it sounds like there's a lot of depth of play for that too because like you know with great you're gonna hate me for this but with great power comes great responsibility right (laughs) that's absolutely just because you can do a ton of things on the table doesn't mean you should exactly right and that's where that tactical decision making is going to come in i would imagine right 100 percent. yep Let's also not forget that this is just an objective-based game. So sometimes you're going to be set up to do some awesome superpower sort of thing, but the best decision might be to just take that objective or protect that objective and just play that out. So right. it's because that's how you truly win. Yeah, you got to score your points. It's like 
throwing the Hulk into a you know giant skyscraper might sound cool, but if it's not scoring your points, do you do it? Right, right. So speaking of throwing the Hulk into skyscrapers, and we've already talked about the Hulk throwing cars, we've talked about terrain being interactable and destructible. Let's talk about terrain. Like, so what is, how is it impacting the game? What's going on? And how does it work as far as your superheroes and supervillains are concerned? Well, I'm glad you asked about this one. Uh, every terrain piece is going to be given a numerical size uh, designation. So it's going to have a value of one, two, three. Uh, and it's going to be that that is going to correlate to how much cover it's going to provide, who it will provide cover to, and how big it is, how much damage is going to be done if it's thrown. So you can throw characters into terrain causing damage. You can throw terrain at characters causing damage. And sometimes you can even throw characters into characters giving a day's status effect. So whenever a piece of terrain is thrown, it will be because uh, the character you're using has a superpower that lets you do that. Say, a Spider-Man, a Hulk. Now, the beautiful thing is, if there's a piece of terrain on the on the board, say there's a car on the board that's really giving you trouble, the, the opponent is hiding behind it, it is in your way, just throw it. <laughs> it's gonna go. It's gonna go away. It's gonna cause damage, which is wonderful. This is damage that is hard to save. It's free damage. You're not using an attack action to do it. Just a little bit of power. That's right. So we're gonna get rid of this obstruction from the Hulk. He's no longer gonna have anything in his way, and he's caused some pain. It is a win-win-win scenario. And something we haven't mentioned yet, what I find really thematic is Chris mentioned this terrain size. This is really important thematically in the game because, of course, Hulk can throw bigger terrain than, a say, a Spider-Man or a Ultron or something. So it's going to matter, too, on that side of things, your restrictions on what you can actually throw depending on the character and their strength. And I love that part, too. Oh, okay, that's cool. So, like, Spider-Man might only be able to throw, right. like, a dumpster, but, like, Hulk can throw, like, a semi. Hulk can throw an entire newspaper stand, a small building, you know? Oh, wow, so this okay. this is good stuff. <laughs> yeah. He can throw that size four terrain or less. So he can throw those smaller buildings on the map and things like that, which is great. That sounds incredible, just, like, thinking about it in, like, yep. a headcan space. It's like, you know what? Screw this building. Oh, yeah. Red Skull, have a building. <laughs> it's so cool to see. It's so fun to pull off. And it removes the building, too. Like, so if Hulk throws a small building, like, that small building gets removed from the table, right? Exactly. Wow. That's crazy. Right. You're removing the cut. You're removing cover, like Chris mentioned. And I guess we'll just get into cover really briefly because it's it's not very convoluted in this game, which I really like. Chris said you have to be the size of the building or less to actually get cover from it, which, you know, that, that seems strange at first, but then it makes sense after some time. Oh, this is size four building. I have a size two character. Of course they have cover behind this. Also, if you're within range, uh, two in the game, which is the short range finder in the game or less, you don't gain cover. So that's kind of that melee hand to hand combat range. So cover doesn't apply then. So that aside, if lo- as long as you just draw a line through the character's bases through some part of the cover, they get covered. There's nothing 
too complex with about this game with line of sight and something. And I think it's some decisions they made creatively to keep it simpler. There's no, there's no, what we call the wargaming crouch where you get down and look behind your commander or, and check line of sight. You're just essentially drawing a line straight from both characters. And you know, what this is going to do is give the defender a chance to turn one of their dice sides to a, a free shield, a block. So it's it's just a small little bit of cover built in, and you know it makes sense with those ranges. Right, and it's not anything like particularly overbearing either. So again, still favoring the attack over the defense, um, as we discussed a little bit ago. Right, and there's only one result you can get from this. There's not cover two or three or or all this other stuff. It's it's very simple. It's very simple. okay. Well, we like that simplicity is good. So let's talk about game length then. Uh, it sounds like the whole speed of this, like everything that we've talked about so far, it's designed to make things fairly fast. Like we have robust activations, but it sounds like they're also fairly quick activations. So like when we're talking about game length, we're, you know, 10 models on the table at most. What are we looking at here? So your game length is going to be around 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour if you're you know, having a really complex, long, tough game. Uh, one of the great things about this game is the first person to score 16 points uh, off objectives just wins. There's no no more, no less, no kill everything. First one to 16 wins. You're scoring quite a bit on most objectives, anywhere from two or three points per objective, and sometimes there's as many as five out on the table. So you can you can swing a game quick, you can win a game quick, or it can be a real war of attrition. Wow. Yeah, and certainly, too, there's also the secondary win condition, which doesn't happen as often, but it will happen every once in a while, and that's just, did you eliminate all the enemy models? You did? Okay, the game's over. Oh, okay. So, it doesn't, so points don't matter in that case. It's just, hey, I tabled you, Absolutely. you're done. So that's going to benefit those smaller lists with the less character count that maybe are stronger characters. Right. Maybe that's a win condition for them because, you know, they might be struggling with that objective because they only have a couple models. But maybe when they have characters like Hulk and Ultron and stuff, maybe they can clean up the other side. All right. So, I mean, and that just comes back down to the depth of play and the depth of strategy there. It's like, did you construct your team that ha- that can even threaten that or not? And it does sound like that's a fairly difficult thing to get to get through because, we have two different health sides. We have the, the normal and the injured, I think Chris said it was. And and then everyone's getting power to be more effective the more you're damaging them. So that seems like a pretty big gamble. Oh, that's certainly true. Yeah. The other mechanic ending the game is going to be at the end of turn six, most points wins. So once everyone has gone through all their activations six times, the game's over. Okay. So just, and I like the fact that the 16 points is like the cap, like in some games, like Malifaux runs into this where like if some, you know, you can't score your eight points, I don't believe until turn five regardless, but it's not, there's no threshold there. It's not like, Hey, if one person gets to this point cap, we stop now. It's like, you keep going to the bitter end because it, it could matter. And here it's like, no, if I got to 16 first, boom. Right. All right. Well, that sounds great. Um, We've already kind of talked about replayability throughout all of this, so I'm not going to really touch on that too much but it definitely sounds like with everything that we've heard so far replayability in this game is super super high which is <laughs> what you want to hear in a miniature game i think it's uh and unbelievably high as chris was mentioning earlier we have you know these 10 models and it's going to change every time you play the game right and but on top of that we mentioned this pre-game with the choosing of objectives and that being slightly randomized and that being partly your opponent and partly you every time you play the game 
the objectives are going to be so different. So it's even got this element that are not in other miniatures games where you kind of play off of a set grouping of objectives. This is always that combo. The two objectives together create their own amalgamation of an objective. And I love that too, because you might have some sort of mix of, Oh, now we're doing the cosmic cube mixed with the extremist objective. I've never seen this before. Let's see how this game turns out on the objective side of things. And that's, very replayable because it's different every time. Love that. I love that. All right, gentlemen, we're going to take another quick break and then we're going to dive into the part that has my meta the most crazed, our last section for today, which is going to be the hobbying aspect of Marvel Crisis Protocol. We'll be right back with Jesse and Chris from Fury's Finest. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than Mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order if you really want to support us in the notes of your order request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat it's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler again that's mat by mars use the promo code third floor to get a 10 percent discount details are in the show notes All right, and here we are with Jesse and Chris from Fury's Finest talking about the last aspect of why we should be playing Marvel Crisis Protocol. And I'm telling you, I'm definitely playing it. There's no two ways about it. Um, That's great. Uh, dude, like, it's hitting all the hot buttons. But there's there's one last thing we got to talk about. We got to talk about the hobby aspect. And we've got a GW fan here. So, Chris, lead us off. Let's talk about these sculpts. These sculpts in this game are really good. I've been I've been reading comic books for my entire life and I love I just love the way these sculpts look. They evoke everything I want from these characters. They're interesting poses, they're well done. They're uh they're really not very hard to assemble. There are some tiny pieces, but nothing along the lines of what you're going to to run into assembling maybe Imperial Guard or something like that, <laughs> or attaching or attaching your your uh, purification seals and all that on your Space Marines. Nothing so complex. That's good to know there. And coming from yeah. a Malifaux background, we have a similar problem. Everyone knows the the rite of passage that is like a Yon Lowe's beard, or it's like there this little strip of plastic that you're just like, I don't even, I can't even hold on to this. How am I supposed to glue it? Yeah, on? the the worst you're gonna have is is getting some forearms in there, and it's really, you know, thinking back to assembling all the other things I've assembled over the years, those forearms were nothing. And on top of that. <laughs> There was only ten models in the whole in the whole kit in the whole starter box. Right, that's so, like one squad of Space Marines. <laughs> exactly. So, it, you know, it really was really great, and painting obviously is something else entirely to talk about because it's a joy. They, awesome. they, these each model is its own showcase. 
So you get to just really go in there and, and do whatever you want and really expound upon your skills and show off as much as you can. Well, and like, I feel like that's, this is something that's worth noting too. Like if you're a hobbyist and not necessarily a player, this is still great stuff because like you said, the sculpts are high quality, right? And they like, are. what, what better fodder for alternate style costumes and paint schemes and stuff than like Marvel characters that typically go through like a bajillion iterations of comic design. You know, and we've already seen a lot of that on the like of various MCP Reddit groups and, and Facebook groups. You've already I've seen people already do Red Hulks. You know, they've they've fabricated the mustache on the face. I, I myself am using a gray hulk. There's obviously your normal green hulk. There's so many different ways you can take this. And it's not just I'm just going to end it there. There's just so many different ways you can take this. Wow, I love that. And Jesse, we were talking about before that like stylistically they're kind of trying to bridge the gap here between the cinematic universe or the comic books depending on like what feels best for the character. And this kind of like we really do see this on these on these sculpts, right? With the, with the level of detail and stuff that we're seeing here. Oh, absolutely. And I think this is potentially one of my favorite parts about this game after they thematically nailed the superpowers and the attacks and the feel of every character being different. On top of that, they made these creative decisions to choose the most iconic look of each character. Now, what does that mean? I'm so glad they didn't go full MCU or full comics or, or, you know, vice versa. They truly chose what's best for each character. So Case in point, some examples here. We have Captain America, who is in the core box. He is truly half and half. He's not full comic book. He's not full MCU. He's this nice middle ground with the sculpt. But then we go all the way to someone like MODOK, 100% comic. So then we got these really interesting decisions that they make, depending on what fits the character. We have the Guardians of the Galaxy coming out soon in the future. Each Guardian, they've chosen either that comic book or that MCU style or maybe some sort of middle ground like Groot and Rocket. They're kind of half and half. But Star-Lord, his MCU sculpt being so iconic, they went 100% MCU. And I think this is actually a huge strength of this game because you're going to get comic book veterans and MCU fans and just, you know, people new to the hobby. And I think this is what's so great about this game. The mechanics and the sculpts and everything fuel that middle ground which i think is a huge strength because there's people like us discussing the game right now when we have content we create weekly about gaming but also somebody's going to go buy a gaming store they're going to see that iron man sculpt that kind of favors the mcu look and they're going to say i want to try that game out i've never even played a game like that but i like that because i love iron man and that is so great that is awesome i really do love that and so, and to kind of like carry, take this to the next level, like not only, not only are they providing sculpts for these models, these wonderful sculpts that are kind of bridging those stylistic views that really draw your attention, but they're also providing terrain. That's right. Like who does that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, it's pretty neat because they 
truly are keeping the ceiling low for people who don't want to go too crazy in, like a lot of us uh, miniatures gamers out there. Right. But they also are leaving the ceiling completely open, as in you can do whatever you want. You can do your own cars. You can do your own terrain. You don't have to only use their terrain. But it is great because you just mentioned they're doing their own terrain, like that Daily Bugle stand that Hulk can throw. Like It's a building that's you just put together, and that is also very appealing because they're making this game as accessible as it needs to be and you can go whatever direction you want and what so what scale are they going do we know what the scale is for the game is it 32 mil super heroic 28 mil like you want to buy like you know hot wheels or something like that like what scale would people need to be looking for a lot of those die cast cars and the one slash 43 or even the 135 like scale this type of stuff works really well in the game they've kind of left it everything under the umbrella of the O scale. So if you're going off of uh, miniatures sets and trains and things like that, not H O scale, O scale. And that's kind of where they're leaning, which I think is really interesting because all the characters are completely in scale with each other. But even some of the terrain at times, like the cars seem slightly small intentionally. I think they want all these heroes and villains to feel huge on the battlefield, even if it's just a subtlety like that. And I think that's pretty great. So if you're in this O scale, you're in the right range, which is really great. And, you know, this is, of course, played on a three-by-three board, mm-hmm. and you can make your own terrain of any form that you want, which is great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I have seen some of the... Uh, there were some posts from a recent um, con, I forget which one it was, where they showed some of, like, the Guardian of the Galaxy's terrain, I think it was. Whew. Oh, yeah, that one looks really cool. I, yeah, I'm just, like, I'm looking at that stuff, and, like, the hobbyist in me is just going, like, oh, sweet God, I need to get my hands on all of these things. <laughs> yeah, Chris and I are actually currently working on a lot of alternate boards that I think people are really going to enjoy on our streams and things like that, and I, it's just so fun. This city stuff is so fun, and, you know, we've got this O scale, so you've got train stuff and things like that that fit that, but if you want to branch out and go to one of these more fantastical realms like the Cosmic Realm or, or Savage Lands or, you know, something as crazy as, you know, an Ant-Man type board, you can go that route, and we love that. Oh, that's a great idea. I hadn't even thought about that, like... Doing the Ant-Man scale board would be crazy, crazy cool. It's been really fun. We've done a little bit of that. We've done some Ant-Man stuff, and it has been fantastically fun. It's it's, it's a stretch of the theme as it fits completely, but for miniatures gamers, it's like, oh, man, this is so different. I need to figure out some way to, like, you know, make a savage world where I can have a T-Rex on the stage that I can throw at somebody. Yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. It's got to happen somehow. Yeah. (laughs) All right, everyone, we're going to take a final break, and then Jesse and Chris are going to give us their closing arguments. We'll be right back. So how much are three or four of these episodes worth to you a month? Third Floor Wars has a Patreon, and if you think they're worth a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars a month, swing by and become a patron. We have polls to decide the next episode of the pod, along with early releases of articles and podcasts. Everything we release goes out to everyone, but sometimes our patrons get a head start. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com. Thanks for the support. Need to give uh, our top Patreons a quick uh, thank you. These are the people that have contributed the most to the Third Floor Wars. Uh, so big thanks to Nick Westbrook. Colin, Kevin Smith, Sam Newman, Stephen Morris, and Jeremy Peace. 
Uh, it's because of you guys that we just ordered some new video equipment um, that's going to make our live streams and videos even better. So thanks a ton. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody. And it is sales pitch time, gentlemen. Each of you, please give me the top two reasons why I should start playing this game. And we're going to start with Chris. So... I cannot stress this point enough. I'm literally playing as superheroes I've been reading and thinking about since I was a kid. I'm I am playing as these superheroes. It's it is really insane. The powers are are right, the feel is right, everything is exactly the way it needs to be for a tabletop game based on the Marvel universe and it is incredibly fun. The number two reason I would say that this game is spectacular is ease of entry and ease of play. You go through one activation, your first activation, and everything is going to make sense. There's going to be some slight rules quibbles, you know, some some minor minutiae to, to get through later on. But once you go through that first full turn, you're just... It, it all makes sense. It all works. It, it It's all... Very intuitive. Awesome. I love it. And Jesse? Well, it's pretty tough to narrow it down to two, but I'm going to give you the two I think really stand out to me to co- coincide with Chris's. Number one, the game length. We mentioned earlier this game is not very long. You could have a 30-minute game all the way to about an hour game, maybe a little more than an hour if you really have a drag-out objective contesting. But that is so appealing as a miniatures gamer and a competitive gamer. It is so exciting to show up to something just with those 10 models, get into a game and be done less than an hour. And you can even reset. And that's, what's so great. And I think that's also going exactly with what Chris said, just ease of entry and play. I think this game length is really important because some of us play these bigger games that take a lot of time. And it's really nice to have a game that doesn't take a lot of time, but you get all everything you want out of it thematically and action wise. And you can do this between that big game. You know, it's great. My second point and my favorite part about this entire game is the unique list building and unique combos of villains and heroes on your teams. It's almost endless because there are no restrictions in this game playing any sort of models together, which is unlike a lot of other games of this facet. And that gets really interesting because now you maybe you just added Venom to your team. Everything's changed because the way he interacts with the board, the way he interacts with enemies, the way he interacts with your team, every time you play the game, it's going to be like that if you're changing out models and i love that so much and then of course we have the squad faction abilities that get to trigger depending on what who's on your team it is so great and that even adds to the theme 
And I love that so much. You know, and you guys have me a hundred percent convinced. And I think you, I think most of our miniature gamers that are playing are going to be a hundred percent convinced from everything we've talked about today too, because over like, really that's the hardest part about getting involved in a war game, right? Is like, how does this differ from what I'm already playing? Like, how do I find more time to fit in a new game? And this answers both of those questions very simply. And no one's playing superheroes. No one's playing the Marvel characters that you grew up with. And not only that, but you can play it as an end cap to your evening. Like if, you know, we all do that where you go out to the gaming store, you get a game in and you're like, man, we only have an hour and a half left. Not enough time to start a new game. Throw some Marvel Crisis Protocol down. It's perfect. Yeah, and you're going to complete a different experience, which I love because this is a skirmish game with asymmetrical characters. And that feels nice, too, after playing with these big armies and squads and things like that. So I cannot recommend it enough. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure. I encourage everyone to check out Fury's Finest on your favorite streaming platform. We're going to put the links to their podcast in our show notes. Jesse, Chris, anything you guys want to personally plug? Do you got anything cool things coming up with your podcast? Do you have a Patreon? Just let it rip, gentlemen. Once again, we truly, truly appreciate you having us on the show. And this is so exciting to talk about this game we love so much on a different podcast. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. And that is going to fuel a lot of our future endeavors. We're doing the show right now very often. But on top of that, we want to add video content to our MCP breadth of work so the patreon is going to lead to that of course you can catch our streams of marvel crisis protocol at twitch.tv slash furies finest and you can follow our show on twitter at furies finest cast instagram and facebook at furies finest and you know we're just looking forward to doing more content weekly you can follow me jesse on twitter instagram and facebook at j-e-s-s-e-e-a-k-i-n and completely off topic here but in the realm of things, I have another podcast that focuses on the story of Star Wars, and that is a show called The Canon Cantina. If you're interested in Star Wars at all, we also do gaming on that show as well. So thanks for having us. And you could follow me, Chris, uh, on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. And I want to say thank you so much for having us on the cast. Absolutely. You guys are absolutely wonderful. And I look forward to hopefully talking to you guys in the future. And definitely looking forward to some of that live stream. I want to see that live streams get going, man. So make sure you everyone gets on Patreon, support these guys. They're doing great work for MCP. And I want to get I want I really want to see some of that live stream coming out from some of those battle report content. All right. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And thank you all as always for listening. Catch you next time on the third floor. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. 
They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. You would imagine not many people like taking blaster bolts. It's face, not. I, I digress. <laughs> it's not your preferred, you know, afternoon. No, not at all. Ugh. Somebody shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Don't make me laugh. I start coughing. <laughs> I actually was trying to not, I normally try to be like quick quippy, but I was doing my best to not make any quips because last time I made you laugh at the very beginning, you nearly died. Oh yeah. It's, it's been, it's been all week. That's right. It's been rough. Say there's a car on the board. That's really given you trouble. The, the opponent is hiding behind it. It is in your way. Just throw it. Man, I wish you could just do that in real life, right? Just be like, you know what? Absolutely. This car, I don't like where it's parked. I'm just going to throw it. <laughs> and we're all good now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your dog barking at you could throw you into a building, too. Like that Doppler bark, man. <laughs> They'll get you, dude. Now. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like. Yeah, like, hey, like, hey, everybody, we we all have colds, we all are recovering from the flu, and we all sound like garbage. Let's do a podcast. Right. <laughs> I know. Man. Start it's... a radio station next. <laughs> right? Let's do this. Well, I mean, I've got a face for radio, so. <laughs> I don't know if I can call it a while. I think it has to be a whirly gig. Uh, you, you do you, boo. <laughs> I guess I should stop recording, shouldn't I? I mean, you're going to have to eventually. Yeah, fine. And no dying. <laughs>